from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet... There's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This time, a former Suns player who you might remember as T-Rex. More video in just a moment, but this is Rex Chapman's mugshot, and we are learning a lot more about the charges. You're a gay man at a time when it's not accepted. Forget pro sports. It's not even accepted in daily life in most parts of the country. You know, in Utah, people knew I was gay in the organization and they did not like it at all. From the day I picked up a basketball, six years later I was in the league. Some of the sports and the sports league don't deserve our love. Sports over promises and under delivers. Welcome to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Today on the show we have John Amici. Some of you guys are going to have to dig deep in your mind for why that name rings a bell. Maybe it's because John was the first person from England or the United Kingdom to make it to the NBA. Or maybe you're a fan of Penn State, where John was a two-time academic All-American. Or maybe it's because after his professional career ended, John told the world his truth. He's gay. And he played basketball at the highest level as a gay man in the mid-90s and early 2000s. And then John did what so many athletes struggle to do. Hell, what I've struggled to do. He retired. 
he moved on. He got involved with another passion, and here he is now, a decorated psychologist and one of the smartest, most considerate people I've come across, let alone to lace up some sneakers or trainers, as they're called in England, and be a part of the NBA brotherhood. This is Charges. John, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm sure that I'm not the first to say this, but sometimes you post the usual dour stuff that we all need to see, but sometimes you post these timeline cleansers that are like, this is saving me right now. This is saving me. So thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. John, normally on this show, uh, athletes have faced charges either from the law or court of public opinion. What are the charges you've faced? From the court of public opinion? Yes. <laughs> well, everything from being just intrinsically sinful, uh, full of myself, uh, pseudo-intellectual, <laughs> um, uppity. Okay. This is this is just my small list of things. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You, you, I don't know if I want to sit down with you in therapy, uh, <laughs> where you're diagnosing me. My goodness. Let's start here. I've seen and heard you say this in other interviews. Uh, you're not a sports fan. No. I, I really appreciate. So I, I hope people can make this distinction. I really appreciate when I see people do remarkable stuff, whether it's Simone Biles. And you watch her spin in midair and land, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I wince. Nowadays, Same. walking downstairs is a bit of a challenge for me. <laughs> so I wince when I see that. But I recognize intrinsically something amazing. I'm, I've been a part of um, something called the Activity Alliance in the UK, which is a charity that works with uh, people with disabilities who participate in sports or physical activity. And I remember, this has got to be nearly 20 years ago, when I, uh, I was still in the league, and I, I was I? I think so. Anyway, and I watched um, a young man, uh, severely uh, disabled young man, in an electric wheelchair with a beanbag, and they have a beanbag throw as part of the competition. And I remember watching, and I was still at a stage where I was probably stupid enough and young enough to, I don't know, to not care about people who I didn't think were real sports people. And then suddenly I did like a double take on this this kid's face, and I realized it's the same face that you see on court is the same face. So I really appreciate excellence in sport. My problem is that that some of the fandom creates a real toxicity. And also some of the sports and the sports league don't deserve our love. They overpromise and underdeliver in a way that is so epic that only weight loss drugs companies are probably ahead of them. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh Tell me how a non-sports fan who grows up in England becomes the first Englishman to ever play in the NBA. I was stopped on the street. I, I don't think this is an uncommon thing. It's an uncommon thing in the United Kingdom to be stopped on the street to play basketball. Yeah. But I was stopped on the street by a man whose name I do not know, and I don't know who it was. And the difference in that moment in my life is remarkable, because if he'd have asked me if I wanted to play basketball, I would have laughed at him. Sweating. I was 17 years old when this happened. I started playing basketball at 17 and a half. Probably. You hadn't picked up a basketball until then, really? No, 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 no. No, I ate pie and read books. I ate pie and read books. That was my... So he, he saw your size? Were, yeah. were, you had gotten How tall were you at the time? I was probably 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, okay. 
Wow. So I got big real quick and, you know, I was pretty much my, I'm 6'9 now. Well, I'm getting shorter now, but I, I'm as tall as I, I was almost as tall as I was going to be. And, and he, he didn't ask me if I wanted to play because I would have said no. He didn't even tell me I should play. I always hate it when people tell other people what they should do because what they really mean is, you know what you're good for? But he said you would be great at basketball. And I remember being absolutely incredulous on the street in Manchester, Market Street in Manchester, just being incredulous that somebody who was a stranger had told me I could be great. And I was like, all right, then. I, I mean, wow. such an idiot. Because I, I ended up in a gym, horrible gym in Chalton, with the backboards posted, pasted onto the wall. Is right? this so not something even... you took upon yourself to do yep. once you heard that? Yep. Had you played other sports? Had you played oh, other God, sports? Oh, God, no. No, no. I, my living was bringing in forged notes. My mom was a doctor. GP, bringing in forged notes saying, John can't do PE today. That was my life. <laughs> I hated it. That is I hated amazing. sweating physical activity. But I got in that gym and 15 or so strangers in that gym when I walked in, ran towards me, grabbed me by the arms and were fighting over whose team, who, who would get me. Even when I was, I was terrible, obviously. You know, every big who walks in off the street, nobody's got that much. I, I shot my first shot. Somebody told me to shoot it, and I was like, "What? Shoot it!" <laughs> and, and so I, he said, "Put throw that in there." So I threw it up. I missed by about six feet, and somebody, some kid on the team, uh, just just yelled out, "That's his first shot, and he only missed by six feet." <laughs> and I was like, "Who wouldn't want to live?" I, I was like, "I." At the end of that session, I said, "I'm never leaving this place." And that's why I wanted to play basketball. And when they told me, about the, I told them about the NBA that day. We were sat down at the end of training. They started talking about the NBA. And I was like, what's that? He said, it's the best league in the world. I said, well, what does it mean? And there's a National Basketball Association. Cool. And they said, it's in America. And I immediately thought, if I could have this good feeling around people, but do it in the sunshine, mm. wouldn't that be great? Wow. And that's the start of my NBA journey. I want to do what this feeling, but in Los Angeles. <laughs> I can't even begin to express to you all how incredible John Amici is. In the history of the NBA, there's only been a little over 4,500 players. The odds of making it into the league for anyone, let alone someone who picked up the game at age 17, are right next to impossible. John's journey from a young man who didn't play sports to an adult who doesn't like sports, but was a professional basketball player in the NBA fraternity, is so marvelous and miraculous that it could be a movie. While some see sports as an escape, the difference with John was that for him, it meant acceptance as a young six foot eight black man amongst boys. So you just, you felt accepted by a group of people for the first time? Yeah, because mostly when I went, you know, when I walked down the street, even now, I mean, I'm fairly regularly stopped and searched in the United Kingdom. <laughs> Um, but even then, when I walked down the street, the number one reaction to me was terror. Even as a geeky, you know, thick glasses wearing kid who was usually had a pie in his hand and books, people were terrified of me. And yet in this place, you know, every, most of the people in my school thought I was thick. They assumed if I'm a big black kid, the only black kid in my school, I must be thick. Oh, that's awful. And so you get into this new environment and everybody thinks you've got potential, 
it's intoxicating. You were a great student, though, right? Mm. Always? Or, or did you put <laughs> forth the effort? So I was, I was very, um, let me see. My mother was very dedicated to me being a great student, and I loved to learn. But what's interesting, and nobody cares about this. This is, I'm yes, a geek do. and a nerd. I do. Right? But um, there's this weird thing where people misunderstand that being thrilled by learning is not necessarily measured in education. And so I did quite well at the O levels, which is the up to 16. A level, I did catastrophically badly because what I'm not good at is regurgitating learned information. What I'm great at is the integration of ideas to come up with a decent solution or at least contributing to a decent solution. So actually not even undergraduate, but graduate school really suited me because that's what it was. Yeah. Wow. Figuring things out. That's amazing. Tell me more about what you remember about your early years with your mom. Um, I, I, she was amazing. I always tell people that my mom was better than their mom. Um, the, the best way I can describe it is that most people have had the experience of those lovely, high-pressure, cool days where the sun's shining. And it's not so bright. So you can kind of close your eyes and look towards the sun, and it feels like your whole brain is being illuminated by the lights. That's what talking to my mother was like. Every time she talked to you, it was like your whole brain was being warmed and illuminated by the sun. Even when she was yelling at you. That gives me chills. The way you speak, the way it appears your mind works, it comes from somewhere. And you describing your mother like that, just know that there's some of that in there. Oh, <laughs> Obviously. Thank you. Obviously. Um, you said basketball gave you acceptance for being big, for being black, you know, all of it. How important is that acceptance, not only for you in your life, but in everyone's life? I think where you feel at home, where you where you can find a place where you aren't spending parts of your energy to protect yourself is amazing. I know that you will understand this perhaps from a different perspective, but we've all been in positions where we've had to hide or protect parts of our identity and it takes energy. People, And so there's only a finite amount of energy. People love this, especially in sports. We love this stupid idea of 110%. It's like, no, <laughs> sometimes there is just 100% of something and not more than that. And so if 2% of it is being used to kind of protect you from those people who say cruel things and another 2% is being used because the coach has a, the wrong style or, or treats you with disrespect and another 2% because you're worried about your family at home and another 2%, another whatever percent because you're gay and nobody knows about it, whatever it is, you suddenly realize you end up with 80%. And in most workplaces, you can get by. But when you're one of the you know, supposedly top 300-odd people in the world at something, you kind of need, like, 99% on a bad day. And especially as me, because let's face it, you were a player, uh, you are a legend, and I am a former player, uh, but not a legend, right? I, I'm not, this is not humble, this is just practical. Let's just be practical. And so I, I bring other things to the table nowadays, and I brought other things to the table when I was there. And I had a couple of great years. But, you know, not at my on my best day, I still needed to bring 99%. Otherwise, I would get squashed. 
I, I understand that completely. And honestly, I, I bounced around the league. I wasn't an all-star type player every year. I understand exactly what you're talking about. And what was weird for me is, you know, any secret that I had or part of my identity that I hid, you know, over an amount of time over my life, once I started talking and those, I let out those parts, you know what? I felt uneasy. <laughs> like I didn't know what to do without the secret or I'm sure you've gone through that, right? It builds a gravity. Secrets have gravity. And when you start to let go of it, it feels like you're spiraling away from, from something incredibly familiar, even if that familiar is bad. You know, one of the things that people don't realize about why change is so hard, it's not actually about the difficulty of going from something good to something better. It doesn't, it's not even about the difficulty in going from some good to something worse. Any change from your status quo will be unwelcome, at least initially. Yeah, until you wrap and, your and that's mind for all around of us. it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Michi take over this game. Absolutely. And, you know, he's so big, so strong, and he's got such a soft shot. Michigan shot is 21% in the first half. John Amici misses, gets the foot back, Penn State up 29-15. Could Michigan regroup? Amici strong inside, Earl to Bartram to Amici. He had 26. Amici spent two years at Penn State and was tipped for the draft, but in the end wasn't picked. Then just before the start of last season, he got a call from the Cleveland Cavaliers. The dream had come true. Let's talk about becoming a professional athlete for a second in the mid-90s in America. How did, how did you do that? How did you end up in the league? I wrote 3,000 letters to America um, when I was 17. Stemming from I that went, day, that day that the man approached you, and it, it, this set you on track, and you had, a, you had a focus at that point, right? Oh, yeah. I want to be clear. When I left the gym after my first hour and 15-minute session in basketball, having missed, taken and missed one shot, 0%. Mm -hmm. That sitting down in that gym with my new teammates, who I already decided were my teammates now, they talked about the NBA. It was there. They said, this is the NBA. It's the best place in the world. I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's what I told them right there and then. What's interesting is that each of them, they said, of course you are. But not like in a sarky, sarcasm way, in a legitimate, yeah. Of course you are. So that's what started me off. Then I had to find a way to get to America. We, we went to a, a bookshop in London that had the Fulbright Commission, as uh, you might be familiar with. It used to do all kinds of um, exchanges and things like that. But they had this book with all the high schools in America in it. Because don't forget, this is, I don't know, 80-something. And so it wasn't an in, in internet or email time. And I got this book and I simply went through, I knew there were too many in there. I just went through every couple of pages, stuck a pen on the page, whatever the dot was. That was a, so there was this place in Roanoke, Virginia that I wrote to, this high school in Roanoke, Virginia, I wrote a letter to, um, Toledo, Ohio, uh, and quite a few other places. I wrote the same letter. Hi coach, my name's John Amici. I am six foot nine, black and English, and I want to play on your team. Something along those, yeah, those lines. Yeah. I expected to be inundated and was not. I got three replies, um, two of which were no's. Uh, one of them, like, why would you even bother, right? But two of them were no's. One of them was from a, a very famous high school in New Jersey. 
um, where they said, we're the winningest school in New Jersey. We don't need foreign talent. And then one of them was from Toledo, Ohio. Uh, and they said, uh, if you're serious, you're willing to work, we'll give you a go. My goodness. So I went to Toledo, Ohio. That, by the way, I just want to point out, that blew my idea of America out of the water. <laughs> don't, don't, don't forget that I knew America from Knight Rider and the 18th. Right, yes, yes. That was, that was what I knew. The sun always shines, but it shines in a really reasonable way. And I got to Ohio in the middle of summer and nearly died when I got off the plane. I couldn't believe how hot it was. Yeah, then humid. people started talking to me, and I realized that Americans don't speak English. <laughs> you speak American. It's like, what are you, what are you saying? So I, I spent my first three weeks just nodding and smiling at people, <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell is going on around me. Oh, my goodness. But such a generous group of people. Were you, uh, in, were you any good at this point? No. No, oh, I mean, I, I mean... Awful. I mean... I thought I was a two-guard, Rex. I thought I was a two-guard. <laughs> I didn't like contact, and I liked to shoot threes. But, John, at, at within a year or two, you're able to compete on the college level and not just compete, stand out. That's where I started watching you. I actually, you know, I'm an SEC guy, Kentucky, all that. I remembered you at Vandy. And then, uh, did you... You sat out a year... Yep. Yes, because you showed back up at Penn State and were killing it. And so I don't understand. You know, it's like a guy going from hitting 14 home runs one season to hitting 78 the next year. I just don't understand how you were able to progress. Was it, I'm sure your brain helped, obviously, but you had to fall in love somewhat with getting in shape. And staying no. in shape. You, no. No, I, I lament most mornings. I miss being in shape. I, I, you know, you look pretty in shape right now, but I am not. And I lament those days when you could just be on a, you know, when you'd be on a treadmill next to one of your teammates, you'd just be talking. You're going 18 miles an hour, but you're just chatting. No problem. You get off, you take one big deep breath, and your, your heart rate's back to 50. I miss those days, but I remember what it took to get there. Going to high school... I didn't realize that basketball was a business. And my high school coach, Ed Heinchel, who just retired last year as the head coach there, told me, he said, just enjoy this year because remember, this will be the last time you play for fun. It won't be the last time you have fun playing, but it'll be the last time you play for fun. Wise words. And I, I was in a weight, they told me about weight rooms. I was like, what? And tracks and running on, so that's when I learned that. But also, my mother was diagnosed with cancer at the same time. And so I realized that if I'm going to be here, it is a sign of abject disrespect to my mother to fail wow. in this pursuit. And so that's, that's what it was. Every run, every step, every lift of a weight was a step towards scholarship, security, my mom being proud. Wow. Yeah, makes, makes a ton of sense now. It really does. So far away from home. Every player's journey to the NBA is different. Some more difficult than others. John's college career was special. I remember watching him play a year in the SEC for Vanderbilt in 1990. I could tell he was a problem. Then he transferred to Penn State for three years before going undrafted, but did amazingly get signed in 1995 by the Cleveland Cavaliers becoming the first undrafted player to start in their first game. John played 28 games in Cleveland before injury. 
He then went overseas to play in Italy, Greece, and the UK before coming back to the NBA in 1999 with the Orlando Magic, where he had a breakout season, averaging 10 points per game over 80 games. He had one more season in Orlando, playing in all 82 games. John then played three more seasons as a backup in Utah. Five seasons overall in the NBA is a good career, but his biggest contributions to the league and the world of sports were still ahead of him. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.
British sportsman is creating a stir stateside after admitting that he's gay. Why does America care? Because John Amici was a professional basketball player, a sport with a very macho image. In a sport that has been graced by some legendary athletes, John Amici was ordinary. But he's creating an extraordinary fuss in the US by announcing that he's gay. Those who follow the sport closely say the revelation is unprecedented. You know, I know you've talked about this and written about it in your book. Uh, you're in the a NBA. You're a gay man at a time when it's not accepted. Forget pro sports. It's not even accepted in daily life in most parts of the country. What was that like? And what do you think when you see the world today where Ellen is the most popular TV host for the last decade? Um, so I pretty much put my social life in a box under my bed. And it wasn't just about being in the closet. It was that I was never sure. I, I don't know if people can relate to this fear, but the idea that if I, if I really started to enjoy everything, that perhaps it would all come crumbling down and not just like being outed. That was one of those things, yeah. but you know, one of the advantages that I always have <laughs> in a slightly frivolous way, was that because I'm British, people could never tell if I'm British or if I'm gay. They, they just couldn't tell. And so, you know, and I've, I looked at some of the footage. I did a, because I'm weird, I did a ton of the NBA, inside of the NBA. You know the ones that Rashad Ahmad used to, yes. is it Ahmad? Right? Of course, yeah. yes. Used to do? Ahmad Rashad. And Ahmad Rashad, yes, there we yes. go. Used to do, and I've looked at one of them, and there's one of them where I just say right to the lens, my teammates know I'm different. And it's like, wow. I mean, I didn't even realize I was, you know. Uh, so essentially, I, I just, I was afraid that if I had too much fun in any dimension, if I moved away from my focus on being a starter, uh, certainly in Orlando, in the league, then I would lose it all. So it was very easy to just pretend for a while that I didn't have a life outside of that. Did it, now that you're saying this, it just breaks my heart somewhat, uh, well, quite a bit. Did it inhibit you really establishing strong relationships, friendships with your teammates that just, was the just for the fear that, you know, maybe yeah. if you got close enough with them that if you shared, you know, whatever that I, I can only imagine, man, I'm sorry. So my teammates asked in uh, Orlando and Utah, uh, the only person I didn't answer was uh, Greg Ostertag. Uh, simply because he asked me as we were walking out onto the court to play the game. And I was like, this is, we are not having this conversation yeah, right yeah. here. And, and it never came back up again. But the, for my teammates, certainly in Orlando, uh, you know, it just was one of those things where as long as we don't talk about it, everything's fine. And people treated me with love and care. They did. Um, it required a compromise on my side, but it's love and care. It's weird, really, because although it's not true that every NBA player has a girlfriend in every right. um, every city, it is true that there are what could be considered alternative lifestyles operating within the league. And so it's kind of ironic to me that non-monogamous alternative lifestyles are somehow more appropriate. And I don't have a judgment on that, by the way, as long as it's consensual all around and everybody knows I, I had never even I had never even put that together brilliant yeah, and yeah. It's, it's such a weird thing to see you know 
I remember somebody, because they knew I was studying psychology, one of my teammates on the plane, they used to come and sit next to me and or opposite me on the, on the plane uh, if they had challenges or problems. And so I remember one of the first ones that happened was when one of my teammates sat opposite me and said, uh, John, no, I didn't say John, he said, Meech, Meech, can you help me out? Uh, my wife doesn't like my girlfriend. And I just thought, <laughs> what, what, right, what, what, what an amazing thing to say, but, but also lovely that you think I can help you with this um, as a psychologist, but also then that, that, that tinge of how weird is it that this is a normal conversation that in no way would I ever, and nor should it, make me think you are a bad or wrong person, as long as there is some, you know, some sense of knowledge, which there clearly was. But for me, as a person without a partner, just the very fact of being a gay person could somehow cause me harm. And it could, you know, in Utah, it was, uh, people knew I was gay in the organization and they did not like it at all. Um, you know, and it wasn't just there in Orlando in my last year there, the, you know, I was being given books by the, I think the president of the organization who was prolific in writing, uh, Jesus laden books about business and Jesus laden books about whatever else. And they would just be dropped into my locker. And I was like, I don't understand this. I know I'm a reader, but I don't think that's why I'm being given this. And the arrogance of that, the arrogance. Yeah. Ah, I'm so sorry. Maybe he thought his writing was so compelling. It would change my very nature. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, you're living the life of an NBA player. You're also a person with feelings, needs, all of that. You're not in your home country, and you're still not someone who loves the game, you know, particularly. And you're hiding who you are. How did you even manage to hoop? Now, we've already, you did have two or three really good seasons in the NBA, and that's not something just anyone can do. But doing it while you're, you're hiding a big part, and you're getting older, and you're, you know, understanding more about yourself and your independence. How did you even manage to do that, to play at all? I, the, you know, part of being in America, my mother only ever watched me once play. Um, it, was a, <laughs> it was a game against Wisconsin at home at Penn State, and we lost badly. And she was there wrapped in, she was emaciated, she was wrapped in, blankets to keep her warm in the stands and she watched me lose and play badly um i missed all the good time i could have had with her all of it uh i would never disrespect that by rejecting the job i had promised to do and this was the job i promised to do um, and also I knew, you know how players, sometimes we talk about how players are born to something. And I just knew that every time any player who looked at me, however good or bad they thought I was, they must know that I had earned my way here. Starting at 17 and a half, from the day I picked up a basketball, six years later, I was in the league. They did. I was starting in the league. It's amazing. And so... They must know, right, that even though I'm not as good as many of them, they must know that I've earned the right to be here. The ironic part was that lots of my, not lots, but at least one of my coaches didn't believe that. 
he thought that because I didn't love the game, I didn't deserve to be in the league. There are Hall of Whereas Famers. I thought, there are Hall of yeah. Famers that didn't love the game. You know, very much so. Yeah. Let's talk about our society for a second. What we put on athletes, you know, who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to be. Did you observe that as a player? You certainly must now as a professional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was intrigued by the impact that athletes had, even in high school. I recognize very, um, my first high school game, I walked in the gym and don't forget from England, if a couple of parents showed up, you were in hog heaven. Right. Oh, yeah, right? really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not no noon. Wow. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Okay. Um, you know, we have a professional league here where the average salary is about $20,000. Right? So it's, it's not big time. And I got to this gym in, in uh, this high school gym in Toledo, St. John's in Toledo, Ohio. And there were 1,500 people in the stands going, absolutely nuts there were my classmates with no shirts on and the, the names of the team each letter you know it, it it was unbelievable and then people were asking me about my opinions on stuff and people were asking me if i could come and talk to some kids at a junior school and you suddenly realized this impact i got to college and i suddenly realized that when i spoke people listened when I talked about the kids in Center County and the, the problems that were having with drugs there and the, the issues that were happening with poverty there, people listened. It, it was remarkable. It's your superpower. It really but, is. Uh, it's, it, it's all of our superpower. It's your superpower. I think people mistake. Um, you are um, considered and thoughtful, and I can't imagine a moment where you post something and you don't realize that it could have this profound impact this thing that is almost inconsequential to you could have this profound impact on other people i didn't learn this lesson properly until i was in the league i didn't learn for all that what i've just said i didn't learn it properly until i was in cleveland <laughs> playing for a very this was this is 1994 95 i was cleveland were terrible right um who's the the center that just retired with injury um uh, larry nance was gone yeah. it's, it's yeah, like Brad it's Doherty, all those guys yeah Brad Doherty gone yeah. everybody's gone mark price gone and so here i am in this cleveland team it's the only reason i'm playing on it i was undrafted but i played my way through and i was in the mall the cleveland mall is where i was i was living at the hotel next door because i didn't think i would be able to keep my spot and i would go to the mall just to chill out um because nobody even cared. Nobody, you know, you, you couldn't have done that. Uh, I was there. I was wearing all the Cleveland stuff, right? Like an insecure athlete. Advertising. Cle Cle I was. I was like, yes. But nobody cared because we were so bad and I was so bad. I was starting on this terrible team. And then suddenly this big black woman is rushing through the crowd. And I can see she's heading for me. She comes towards me and then she jams into my hand a napkin. And it is a used napkin from Panera Bread. And it has it has mayonnaise on it. And it is stuck to my hand. And she says, will you sign this for my boy? I look, her boy is behind her. He wants no part of this. He knows that the calves are terrible and that this guy is terrible. And so I just happened to have a Sharpie with me. That was the stage of my career where everything I wore, there was I had a Sharpie with me. And so I signed it. And then instead of handing it to her, I just reached around her and I shook this kid's hand 
And then I put this mayonnaise autograph back in his hand and turned around and she turned around and dragged him through the crowd. And then for some reason, as I'm walking out, I just turn around and I see that she can't pull her kid through the crowd anymore. He's just stood there and he's kind of staring at his hand with the autograph. He's staring at the hand that I shake. And that's when it hit me. I am a terrible basketball player on a terrible basketball team that nobody in this mall cares about. Sometimes the most inconsequential thing you do, and this is the beauty of athletes when they're at their best, not on the court, this is the beauty of athletes at their best. These inconsequential actions can have these massive ripples. This kid's a psychologist now. I got a note about six years ago. Come on. He followed my career. He knows that I'm a psychologist. He's become a psychologist. He's a clinical psychologist. My goodness. In Ohio. What a story. From I, a mayonnaise autograph. That is just, it gives me goosebumps. I mean, come on. You don't give yourself but it's lovely, rate. right? It's to, so... To know that, you know, seven points a game or whatever my career average is. But the, but the it, impact. It can make a difference. Yes. Nah. God, that's beautiful. Well, from there, let's talk about the intersection of race and sports because sports has always been a class and power struggle, even now. The owners are billionaires and the players mere millionaires uh, who are still commodities to be bought and sold and traded. But then you add race. What do you see in the world of sports today and how does it compare to the pro sports world that you were in? So I, I don't know what your experience was, but I have always felt that my experience with players is a more conscious group of people than they in the locker room than they talked about outside the locker room. I remember during presidential cycles um, having influential politicians come into the locker room and not just Democrats, but people from different perspectives to talk about the issues that they felt were important. Some of the conversations we had around, I remember sitting in the locker room when the OJ verdict was yes, was, was, same. was announced. Um, I remember the conversations we had then. It's been a fascinating, um, enlightening journey to see this. What disappointed me back then was how public stupidity, public, no, no, not fair, the dumbing down of the public persona seemed to be an important part of the picture. The idea that players didn't want to appear too clever too tuned in, too controversial, too opinionated. Whereas now that seems to have changed. And I think it's changed because the women have led the way. Agreed. Couldn't agree I more. think in the, in the league, it's the WNBA. It's those remarkable women who led the way and were punished initially, by the way, and then changed the picture. And they changed you, the picture. They not, I mean, they essentially changed the whole ball game. Uh, yep. It took Mitch McConnell out of power. <laughs> I mean, uh, but that was the women. And they yeah. agreed. We have followed their lead. Yeah. And that, uh, I've been really pleased to see people doing things on an individual basis. I would love to see people do things on a more uh, concerted and, and connected basis. I'm not super connected. I do bits and pieces with the league now, but but I'm not super connected with what's happening on the team basis. But one of my biggest disappointments with Michael Jordan, not that I should be allowed to have an opinion perhaps, but I think he could have transformed America. And people think that this is hyperbole, but uh, I do not. I think that he 
was the kind of person in his a in his era i mean who could have created a coalition to do something about child poverty to do something about the the disparate outcomes from education uh, and things like that his particular perspective republicans buy sneakers too i think has been devastating i think the approach of people like lebron and others um somebody who i love very much who i think is a remarkable man is deke i just think he's amazing um is who deke sorry uh, dikembe oh yeah uh i think just just you know i don't know how many hospitals he's built now i don't know how many causes that he he stands up and and rails for but just remarkable i'm with you and and you know what i want to say both of those men uh michael and dikembe represented by the same man david falk and i came up right behind michael and michael was fame and success came upon him in a relatively fast time kind of like yourself he went from being a mcdonald's all-american to being this thing and he was kind of especially when i came in the league in the late 80s mid to late 80s he was and not that it's right i'm just saying it was how it was nobody nobody white or black really felt and maybe it was our education and all that felt like we could say anything for fear of you know losing our our jobs and i think he was that way too at a certain point and then he was kind of being asked to do something different i think dikembe and lebron and all those guys have been inspired and in recent years michael is coming he's coming along i'm with you there was a time where in a perfect world man because he was as famous, they would shut malls down for him, right? Yes. You remember, like they did for yeah. Michael Jackson. So I'm with you 100%. I just wanted to kind of follow that up. Uh, and and yeah. Dikembe, what he's doing, unbelievable. Uh, last yeah. last thing on sports, because there's so much more to you than basketball, what do you think of when you think the role sports play in society? What value do they have to society? And should we continue to hold them up? Sports over promises and under-delivers. It doesn't matter what website you look at, the IOC, FIBA, FIFA, any of these big international bodies, even the NBA, the league. If they did what they promised on their website, the world, and not just the sporting world, would be a better place. If they leverage their influence and their power, their money and their convening authority, the world would be a better place. Right now, there are some sports more than others that run the risk of simply being a minstrel show. You get in front of the camera, you perform, everybody claps, you go home. That's not enough, I don't think. It's not enough. It may be enough for the individual player in that, on that day. It's not enough for the league to end it there. And it's not enough to flash a few messages that say don't do drugs or, or, or anti-racism is cool or whatever else. You have to live that. You have to decide if you'll go to certain countries that think that killing, throwing gay people from the top of buildings is appropriate or interning Muslims is appropriate. You have to make tough decisions. And I'm not sure that sport is interested in those tough decisions. Wow. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Amici's no ordinary British sportsman, a basketball superstar with teams like Orlando Magic and the Utah Jazz in America. He's also studying for a doctorate in child psychology and hopes he can do his bit to help motivate youngsters like these pupils at the Ernest Bevin Sports College in South London. John Amici, in recognition of your many achievements in psychotherapy and sport, it gives me the greatest pleasure to ask Mark Stevens, Chair of the Board of Governors, to confer on you the award of Honorary Doctor of the University, Honoris Causa. You're a psychologist. Tell me in the audience how and why you became a psychologist. 
<clears throat> this is a long and convoluted story. Uh, have people have to buy my book to, to really get the fullness <laughs> of this. Uh, but uh, my new one, not my old one. Um, my mum was a, a GP. I watched her work. And I marvel at this because back in the day, when I was seven years old, I would go on visits with her to, to patients' houses. She worked in palliative care, so people who were not going to get better. And I would end up sat in living rooms with fraught, devastated, anxious, scared, terrified family members. And as, at seven, I would just sit there. And I remember telling my mum that the air is so heavy, it's hard to breathe after being in one of those rooms. It's so hard to breathe. And everybody, I think, can recognize that sense of dread and how it almost literally weighs on your chest. And I, I could feel that. But I would also watch how my mum operated. She'd come into a room and she would look at every single person and it was like she was doing the thing that she did to me, just pouring sunlight into people's heads. And she would tell them, you can do this, you're gonna do this and this. And I would listen as they just repeated back what she said, like she was a guru. And I thought she was magic. And then in 1977, uh, my mom took me to see Star Wars. And if you've ever seen Star Wars, there is a scene 34 and a half minutes in, uh, 35 and a half minutes in the new cut, where Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke are going into Mos Eisley and they get stopped by the stormtroopers. And I'm confused because I think the film's going to be over. And Obi-Wan just looks at the stormtroopers and these aren't the droids we're looking for. We can move along, move along. And they just repeat what he said. And I thought, I was like, at seven, I have seen this before. And so that's the point that I knew my mom was a Jedi. I asked the librarian at my local library, how do I become a Jedi? Um, after I had to disabuse her of the idea I was talking about Star Wars, <laughs> she told me that psychologist was the closest thing she could think of. And that's why I'm a psychologist, because it's the closest thing I can do to being a Jedi. Well, mission accomplished. God, that's beautiful. That's just beautiful. Uh, let's talk about the world right now. It still seems extremely fractured and the pandemic continues to be an issue. What's John the person think of everything that's happening? And then what's John the psychologist think about it? John the person. Can you even do that? I, I, yes, yes. Uh, I, the problem with me is that, A, I live alone. And so I have just, and I get up at five in the morning. So I have just copious amounts of time to think about stuff. And so... I have thought about this. Um, here's the problem. I, as a person, sometimes I'm surprised I'll wake up in the morning. Sometimes I go to sleep and I am afraid that the rage that I feel will strangle me in my sleep. The rage at the callousness at the ignorance, at the stupidity, at the cruelty, at the avarice of the world who will kill me in my sleep. I, that is me. John the psychologist and Jedi is somewhat more resilient than that. And I know that for every thing I see that causes me pain and makes me worry about the future of humanity, every once in a while you peek into a corner of the internet or you have a conversation with somebody online or in person, and there it is. That shaft of sunlight that makes you think, 
there is hope. That, that's, it's hard, but there is hope. All that personal strength, the gumption that you have, the toughness, uh, what are things you still struggle with today? Uh, hmm. Most things. Uh, I've struggled with like body uh, image issues since I was a kid. I was a super fat kid. And I, you know, one of the things that I most regret, and I don't know if you have any of these, but I have one picture of me with my shirt off when I played. Yeah, I've got like one from like high school. Yeah, I, I have one. It was when I was in the league. I've got one when in the league. I definitely didn't have one. You would never catch me. Uh, with a, you know, I was the guy who, when I was in England before I left, my sisters, bless them they would bring a big beach towel to the corner of the pool because they knew I wouldn't get out unless I could wrap it up around my chest because I knew I was a fat kid. But the problem is that in the league, I thought I was fat. And you weren't. I had 4% body fat my, my key years. I thought I was fat. And still, so I know I'm chunky now. And the problem is at 50, I'm passable. And so people are like, no. But if, you, if you're gay and you have this much body fat, you are way too fat. Trust me, <laughs> uh, nobody's looking at you. Um, Come on. So that's something I struggle with. I think the the sense of hopelessness that I thought I would have made more of an impact on the world by now. And I, I don't mean I haven't made any impact on the world. I've got an anti-racism video out there that's had 10 million views. And I know, I hope that the, the things that I do help people to be more resilient. I knew that basketball wouldn't be the place where I got to be the Michael Jordan <laughs> I thought that psychology might be. And and I'm not finished yet, but I'm not where I thought I would be. Okay, I'm going to accept the answer. <laughs> However, the 50,000-foot view is you're the first to do something, a couple of firsts. And that impact, everyone knows you in sports, everyone. And we hope, I hope that, you know, you doing what you've done and how you've gotten there, becoming a Jedi, and basically it all goes back to your mom's strength, which gave you strength in every facet. You are making this impact. And this, I mean, you're 50. I'm 54 at this point. You're just starting, man. You're just starting. Uh, I, I said I wasn't going to ask more sports questions, but it's only a sports question because it's about you. You went from never playing basketball for the first 17 years of your life to the NBA in just six years. What's it say about you, and how does that part of what's in you help you navigate the world? It says that I, I understand myself really well. That's the, that's the big key. It's, it's about introspection. People think it's about drive and ambition, and, and that is important, but I have no more of that than any other person who is accomplished. Uh, the difference is that I know myself really well. So the reason I made it to the league is because I know that I am fundamentally lazy. Give me an option to save energy, I will take that option. Uh, give me an option to skip practice, I will take that option. Give me an option to go through the motions in practice, I will take that option uh, that I'm lazy. Give me an option to not prepare, to not watch tape, to not, I will take that. And so fundamentally, this self-knowledge allowed me to structure my life I ate the same, I tell people this all the time, I, I, I'm quite proud of this, I, I ate the same lunch for a decade in the league because I knew that variety is my enemy. Variety is what leads to cheesecake for me, whereas brown rice, broiled chicken, and some kind of green vegetable, 
that leads to consistency. Makes you feel like you've earned the rest of whatever your day is, right? Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah, I get it. I get it. My goodness. John, thank you so much for being a guest today on the show. I do hope we can have you back because your perspective is incredible. And not only me, but I think everyone needs to hear more of it on all sorts of things. Thank you, buddy. It'll be a pleasure. Thank you, Rex. Charges. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.